felt. Um, but I'd moved house and I'd actually moved from West London to East London. So I'd gone on autopilot heading home. Uh, and then, uh, unfortunately, uh, it all just went a bit beat up from there. And of course, I didn't notice because it was my regular journey, right? So I was just doing exactly what I would have done on every other time that I would have done it. Um, and uh, how far did you get all the way there? I I I, I ended up uh, about a fifty about a fifty pound uh, and five minute taxi uh, the wrong way, um, which you know, in the wee hours of the morning is enough, right? It's uh, it's kind of not not what you want to be doing. Well, interesting. So we just had a, a nice small story when it comes to Mike and the subway, essentially taking the tube the wrong way. But the question is, Mike, did you mind the gap? Did you fall in the hole in between the train or did you make it on the train? Oh, no, I, I made it. I definitely I made it on the train. Uh, <laughs> on the I wish I'd missed, actually. But uh, <laughs> Awesome. Well, we're talking about minding the gap today because on today's podcast, we're going to be speaking about lessons and leadership around minding the gap of management when you are managing product teams and then you're building and you're scaling. So you have multiple teams and think of all these teams as different trains going different directions in the tube. You've got to not only navigate where you're going to go, but you've got to mind the gap. So we're going to talk about the safety measures that we need to take as leaders and managers as we build and grow our teams. Now, my name is Ryan Fallen. I'm a global keynote speaker. I talk about simplicity. My company is Influence Tree, and we help people become real people, like humans online. It's a lot of fun. But today, we're going to be speaking with humans here who are involved in scale-ups. That means that they are having the problem of growing pains. That means that they're moving and shaking. We've got everybody from, the, uh, from around the world, really. We're looking at India all the way to London today. So, Max, I'm going to kick it off to you, and you are going to pepper these gentlemen with some questions and we'll hopefully pull all of the inside out of their brains so that we can mind the gap and get on the right train. Thank you very much, Ryan. Yeah, really ex excited about the talk today. You know, at Meniz, I had products. Uh, when I joined, we had three, pro three product teams, of sort of 35 people. We now have 10 of nearly 100, and these are full-stack product teams. And you know, I'm really keen to learn sort of the lessons about sort of the difference between you know, leading, leading one team and then leading multiple teams. I think there's you know, so much that I've learned and still to learn that I'm you know, really excited uh, to have Vanita and Mike uh, join me today to start and discuss you know, what's the huge differences between you know, leading one team in one very small domain, the sort of you know, effectively being a product executive where you're looking across a portfolio of products and, and, and a number of teams. So I just really love uh, Vanita, could you just sort of briefly introduce yourself? It'd be fantastic and explain broadly how you're structured and, and what you do. Okay. So uh, thanks, Max. I mean, uh, for introducing me. I mean, I am uh, uh, the head of product for uh, Gojek for uh, the digital payments and integrations. Uh, what I mean by that is that uh, Gojek has almost 18 plus products, right, from food tech to fintech to uh, hyperlocal. Uh, so from there, you, our digital wallet is one of uh, one of the biggest products. I mean, with uh, Gojek, and uh, my job is to make sure that uh, your money does not stay in your wallet, right? So, so money does not stay in your wallet means that you have enough places to actually spend your money uh, with the digital uh, wallet, which is called as GoPay. Uh, so, whether I mean we are integrating with your uh, fuel stations or your uh, even your vending machines, I mean everything I mean, it goes under that. Uh, that also means sorry. Uh, that also means uh, that we have uh, uh, 
I mean, all the other digital payment solutions wherein, I mean, you pay your bills, you uh, pay, you top up your uh, mobile, all those, I mean, comes under uh, this. Uh, there has been around, uh, so what we say is that one in every two uh, in nation have installed this uh, app. We have about 125 million uh, downloads. Uh, there are about 300k merchants on GoFood platform, which is our uh, food tech platform. 80% uh, of these uh, uh, are actually small mom and pop shops rely heavily on uh, GoFood for their revenues, right? And then uh, on the GoPay ecosystem actually processes uh, about 6.3 billion of uh, annual uh, GDP. So that's the scale we are talking about. And as I said, I mean, we have like uh, 18 plus products and then we start off with the one and now we are, I mean, just growing. That's amazing. I think it's such a, you know, such a huge uh, you know, success story in terms of scaling, both scaling customers, scaling the money moved, um, you know, and scaling the team. So just, just briefly, just explain what sort of, what your area looks like, sort of the number of teams you've got. Um, uh, sorry, can you say that again? So what I'm, what I'm really interested in is sort of, sorry, you, you lead the sort of the wallets and the payments teams, sort of how many teams are there that sort of reporting to you? Sure. So, uh, so basically we have, especially I'm going to start off with uh, one team. Uh, so we were based out of uh, Bangalore for the tech, but now uh, it deals with uh, a lot of uh, cross-functional teams and we have leaders from engineering, from program management, from sales, from support, from uh, operations, legal, marketing, and uh, to top that, we have multiple products running, right? I mean, uh, uh, multiple editions at the same time, which is happening, which are across uh, different, you have your uh, data science team, Lexus uh, sitting in Singapore, and uh, uh, you have your business teams uh, as well as tech in, uh, in Jakarta, as well as in Bangalore, right? So, so there's not a clear demarcation of uh, where exactly what teams, I mean, we are just, a uh, uh, a global, uh, you know, I mean, uh, anywhere, I mean, wherever we fight that, uh, consider, I mean, more than 10 teams working together to build multiple products. So that is how, I mean, we are working on that. Okay, so it sounds like very mission-centric teams, plus a mixture of virtual across a number of different sites. Yeah, so that's got to be... That's got to be very complex, Mike. I'd love to hear sort of sort of your your role and sort of the teams you lead and how and how you structure it. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, so I'm the CPO for Form Three, um, one of the founding team here. Um, we're now uh, just coming up to three years old. Um, we provide payment technology to regulated businesses. So effectively, the shared infrastructure for banks, fintechs, uh, insurance companies, uh, new market entrants, uh, digital banks, um, and now increasingly tier one providers um, for their connectivity into uh, payment ecosystems. So uh, we started in the UK and we're now live in, uh, now live in Europe as well. Uh, and uh, you know, from there, the world uh, or something like that. Um, so, so team-wise, um, the organisation itself, um, we've just crossed through the, uh, the 50 people barrier um, during that period. Um, we're growing really fast. Um, from a product perspective, um, that means we've kind of moved from, uh, from a team um, to what is now uh, constructed as, uh, as four product owners with uh, some sort of um, cross support. So we're just moving into a model where products owners effectively face off into development teams, uh, which are a resource for them to, to sort of build, not quite on a whim, but you know, broadly to a plan. 
um, uh, with autonomy to do that. Um, we're now layering in uh, VA support to increase the speed with which those product guys can kind of get through those, uh, those changes. Um, and then we have um, some, uh, some sort of more functional um, views of the world from a product perspective that looks at consistent approach to documentation, design and identity. Um, and those sort of read across the, the more sort of functional uh, teams that are, that are growing. That's a great, a great introduction because you've, you've already sort of touched on a number of key things. You know, in terms of you know, the empowerment for the teams, I think you sort of do, you made a light little joke of it there in terms of you know, that they can, they can do stuff, but within reasons. I think you know, that's especially one of the challenges I face, which is sort of how do, you, how do you empower the teams without empowering them until you disagree with them or, or, or with true power? You know, a lot of people forget the, the, the power and empowerment. So that's definitely one of the challenges I want to explore. And then the second one you raised, which is consistency. So yeah, I'd like let's let's stay with you, Mark, and let's dive into what do you think are the sort of the biggest the biggest challenge you face now with these four product leads and the four teams where you just didn't have one. It, it must be quite a change. Which, which sort of what do you spend most of your time doing, or what keeps you up at night? Yeah, so I, so I think um, I mean I, you know having come out of banks before. Um, it, I think the most difficult role that there is is when you're sort of player managing because you can't quite run your team right, but you're also uh, you're also responsible for your own uh, kind of output. And I, and I think the space that we're just transitioning out of is that. So, so we're now in a space where um, the uh, the product owners, the product leads um, in uh, in form three have um, sort of the best way to describe this um, precise. Um, precise deliverables in, in kind of the short term mm. um, and, and that keeps sort of focus and consistency across the organization um, the direction of travel for their product sets is is very much up for grabs so this is where this is where they can start to look at the demand that's coming specifically from the big clients that they've got or big clients they want to target um, and then they can start to talk I suppose to me about that in terms of uh, capacity and return so what do they need from me and what are they going to give back? And, and, and that's kind of the model we're moving into. So you know, they get X amount of you know, development resource in a team um, because we could do other things with that. Um, and in exchange for that, you know, what should I expect in terms of the iterations of short-term deliverables, but also the size of the, of the market and the groups of customers that they're, that they're working with? That's really interesting. You see Jeff Boss and Bosa say things like, you'd know, be very rigid on strategy and be loose on execution. It seems like you sort of turned that slightly on its head, and you... so there's rules of the game, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, so we're super, super clear on things we don't do at all. Okay. Yes. What you don't do, you know, it's key. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. So, so I mentioned actually strategy, like the, the what you do do bit, you kind of fudge it, right? So, does it take strategy? Mm -hmm. Just take it off, right? I mean, that's because mm -hmm. everybody bends it. Um, so we're super clear on the stuff that we really don't do. So there are just areas that are off limits. Um, okay. And there are areas that are off limits for periods of time. So for example, you know, we're saying now that, that for us, the, the generic demand from our customers is number of endpoints, uh, not the thickness of processing work that we do with our clients, which are kind of the two ways we think about the world. Mm. Um, and so because of that, actually within the rules of the game, so uh, you know, things we don't do in the next 12 months, the, this is where we're focused. Actually, how you guys, from a product perspective, then mm. then kind of crystallise that into I can expect this when and this when and this when, and we'll generate what, and how does that inform the next kind of phase of our, our development? Um, yeah. So I would never go against Jeff. That would be foolish. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but but I but I think um, but I think rules of the game are kind of uh, for me they're kind of a given. They're kind of set, and everybody plays within those. Um, how they achieve maximum you know value return penetration of their products um, that that is absolutely for them to to work out. That's really interesting. So what we learned. You know, you, whether for good or bad, you know, what we learned, you know, tripling the size of the team in sort of in six months was in the past, the vision and the strategy was always the stories that we told each other and the CEO's vision, but that, that doesn't scale. So what we've had to do recently is try and codify or get him to codify it. And obviously he's got a very big brain and he can articulate, but for you, getting him away from fundraising or everything else to sit down and spend, you know, an entire week just focusing on one thing and say, please help us understand what's in your brain. Really was was a great exercise for him because he could bounce it off other people. Uh, But that was very helpful for me because I can then go to the teams, you know, this is, this is Norris's vision of the future as you know, what's your vision of the future? How does, how does personal accounts fit into that? How does business accounts, how does payments fit into that? And that was really helpful because you, you, you're not you're not bounding the team you know, very very strongly at all. You're saying, look, here's the vision of the future. What do you think your vision is? And you know, that's great because you find out that if you've articulated it wrong or if they've misinterpreted it, at least you get that feedback. You know, in the past, you would just said, here you go, do this or this is the vision. You would not heard anything back, and you would been surprised when something changed later because you didn't get that feedback that people just didn't understand or you didn't share that vision. So there's, the, there's something that we got wrong and we started to see people sort of suggest the wrong decisions and not make some decisions, but suggest the wrong things. And so we went through this and it, it really helped. Vinny, I think it's really, you know, let, let's, 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 let's jump on, you know, jump down with, you know, with, with Gojek sort of, how do we, you know, how do you, you know, what are the challenges that you've, that you've faced running these multiple teams that seem uh, you know, a lot less structured than, than where we've got? So I'd love to see sort of how you, how you manage this. Is it like managing cats, a herd of cats? I'd love to hear. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so basically, see, I mean, it started off with uh, uh, starting off with one team uh, at a time, right? I mean, there was one product. You start off with one product, you go get into the details, then you uh, get a hold of it, then you move on to the next product, and then, I mean, your product portfolio starts uh, increasing. You find synergies, and then you start doing it, right? The biggest problem uh, there then becomes uh, how do you delegate versus inspire others, right? What happens is that because you were so close, uh, or I mean, so deep into the product, that you know exactly how the product works, right? If somebody uh, new coming in, I mean, there's a product uh, owner uh, who you are supposed to coach and also give them direction. That was the biggest challenge, which uh, was there always. Uh, there was always an urge to actually handhold them and take to uh, take them to the uh, point where you want them to be. Then actually inspiring, developing, and uh, guiding them to uh, reach there. Right. So that was one. Then there's uh, the whole uh, location thing was also, I mean, the boundaries were also uh, a big issue. Uh, initially, what happens is that because, I mean, if you are uh, meeting face to face, you know, uh, you can understand exactly, I mean, what, uh, it's, it's just more personal. I mean, you understand uh, how exactly uh, the product is being driven or uh, what are the, uh, what are the, what is the vision of that product by that product owner, right? Uh, so initially, I mean, how do you, how uh, I used to do is uh, travel more often, right? So, so it would be like uh, every week you're in Jakarta, uh, the next week you're in Singapore and then uh, the, 
next week or even in Bangalore. So continuous travel, uh, build relationships, and then finally give them uh, a piece of uh, the information on what they need to actually build the product. Uh, the other uh, important problem which I faced as well was uh, the knowledge gap, right? There's always uh, being uh, the leader, uh, you will have access to information uh, due to your close proximity with the senior management that you might not be available with the product owners as such. That itself also becomes a, a, a problem sometimes, right? I mean, you don't know exactly uh, what all information has been shared or what all uh, I have even communicated because I mean, there's so many products going on, right? Uh, so that itself was also another problem wherein I mean I would involve all of them to come to the same meetings so, so that I mean if there is there are feature pods wherein everybody is involved everybody has the same information and uh, there are no silos of information. Yeah. So that that, that yeah that, that's so true. But I, you know, I found both ways. I found the teams don't have some of the context that I'm exposed to. But then often I don't have some of the context the teams have. The te you know, for us, the decision we've made here at Moniz is is the team the team owns the is accountable for the success or failure of the product because we feel you know, we hire we hire very senior people. We've not got to the point where where we can where we can train yet, but we'd love to get there. You know, if we've if if the team know the customer the best, if the team know the technology the best, if the team know the product the best. The team should make a decision, but you know what that means is there's often you know an information asymmetry, which is the team have got information from the technology or from the uh, customer that they're sort of spending you know one day a week you know with customers trying to get that feel from the customer. But then there's stuff that I've been exposed to that I can't share. Um, it, you know, it's a huge question. How how are you solving that? You know, one of the ways that I think you said is inviting them to the meetings. Obviously, there's only you know, I go to a lot of meetings. I'm sure all of us do. It's probably one of the main things we do. But how do we? You know, how do we? How do we enable this share of perspective without yeah. all being in meetings all of the time? Sure. So so basically, I mean, this is what we do as a uh, uh, as. Uh, as a new thing which we keep on doing with the uh, Gojek everywhere is having product inceptions. So initially what you do is uh, uh, float a doc with all the information uh, available and then uh, share it with all the stakeholders. Everybody come up with questions, ask uh, and uh, uh, we keep on updating the working doc so that uh, every information available, because I mean, the moment you get questions, you know that, oh, this information is missing from the doc which is in my head, but it is not uh, in the doc, or it is with somebody else, or he might ask you some question which is which was not uh, explored as such. And then you keep on updating the doc till the time, I mean, the update starts uh, reducing, right, on the doc. Then you hold a full-fledged uh, uh, inception. Uh, the inception, in and then inception one, we have one rule that uh, everybody involved or all the key stakeholders would be in the same room, okay? So we, we fly down everyone, Either it will be in Singapore or in Jakarta or in Bangalore, wherever it, it doesn't matter, but have everybody in the same room because this is the most important meeting which will uh, ensure the success of that product, right? Because it's the kickoff uh, meeting. Have everybody in the room discuss it out. I mean, go through each and every detail of the product, uh, have questions, get them answered right there. Whoever is, uh, or whoever is the stakeholder is supposed to answer, get them there, uh, get everybody on the same page, and then uh, start working on it. Now, there is no information asymmetry, right? I mean, that everybody has the same information as we have. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting because what you're doing is balancing asymmet you know, asynchronous communication with synchronous. You sort of through the doc, 
it's asynchronous so people can pull that communication and they can live but then you're balancing that with a point in time where you lock everybody in the room and say right okay you know, we're going north or south or east and then you sort of get agreement that you know that you know, you might end up going north northeast or, or even you know, even further but at least everybody at the start is sort of you know, we do the same thing we, we 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 very much have a kickoff we've got a set list these are the people you must invite it happens anybody from the company can attend and the product lead goes right i'm going north or i'm going south and then you know they do a bit of work you know they try to get it to a sort of 60 70 answer not too much because nobody likes to see that wasted. But then we get everybody, yeah, get everybody and they go, right, here's what an MVP looks like. Here's what we're considering next. You know, any feedback, because if not, if you're not in the meeting or you don't give any feedback, then we just assume you've given your approval and then you go and get it done. Obviously, you know, uh, yeah, there are risks with that that you have to manage, but but, but that, that one point in time where you can say, right, okay, this is the broad direction of travel. You know, I think yeah, that's one thing we learned quite quickly. Mike, I'd love to. I'd love to hear how how do you sort of balance how do you sort of balance this and how do you how do you manage it? Um, so, so I think I mean we have a couple of I suppose a couple of tools, a couple of challenges um, at the same time. So um, I mean we're still we're still small enough as an organisation. I mean I didn't think we would still be doing it now, but um, you know there are weekly um, full organisation calls. Uh, and I don't see those going anywhere. So, um, so that, the reason we do that is because our engineering team is 100% uh, remote, uh, and they're all over. Ah, okay. So, so we don't have uh, concentrated development teams at all. Uh, our engineering function is 100% remote, and so the office here is effectively a a, a touch base to uh, introduce new people, or actually, if they want to do something, it's face to face. But they're all over Europe and all over the UK. Um, so, um, so from that perspective, actually, comms is super important to us organisationally. So we're very open about uh, the communication, and so, so that means that um, you know the way we the way we talk through and the way we run those uh, full organisational sessions include um, sort of by design the the product owners every week working through not only the progress of the things that they're working on, but also the flight path of the things that they're thinking on. Mm-hmm. and feedback from the different functional areas of the organization back inwards that would help to influence their their own sort of thought process mm-hmm. um, and actually it's been really powerful um i mean we do it for you know it's a one hour standing session um once once a week um and so far you know that's been really really positive as a way of keeping everybody lined up um i think the other thing we found is because that is also flat the organization is flat um because of that um actually we don't have of a hierarchical um, distribution of information issue yet. We will get to that. I'm, I'm sure mm. as we grow, we haven't we haven't hit that uh, we haven't hit that that issue um, that issue quite yet. Um, the other thing that we do um, is um, I mean this is going to sound like a shameless plug, but actually I really like it. Um, I mean we use uh, tooling to support uh, product management specifically. Mm. Okay. So integrations out of um, the AHA road mapping and requirements tool into Git as our kind of primary uh, development tool. Mm-hmm. Um, we've worked um, really hard to um, to use that as a mechanism for ensuring visibility, actually, across the development teams, but also across the product organization about, you know, the various sort of component blocks that are being manufactured. Um, and, and what that's helped us do just at a very practical level is the first people in the organization who hit a problem or the first people who hit a development requirement within a team um, are 
uh, are mandated to solve it on behalf of the whole organization. So they don't solve it for their release, they solve it conceptually, mm. the whole organization. And again, that kind of forces them to kind of come out of the, uh, you know, I'm delivering my MVP at all costs, yeah, yeah. clearly is the focus, but actually if they're the first people that have to deal with batching, or the first people that have to deal with uh, processing load problems or whatever it is, mm. the way they solve and then have to go back on behalf of the rest of the organization is, is kind of keeping, mm. um, Kind of keeping the interaction uh, and the conversations going. So I think I think a number of points you touched for a sort of consistency um, between between sort of the teams, which is a really interesting one because how do you empower the teams and sort of let them do something? Plus, how do you balance consistency? And I think there's probably actually a direct trade-off. The more you centralize, the more consistent you are. The more decentralized, the by definition, the less consistent you are. So how do you, you know, so I think managing consistency for me is one of the biggest things I have to think about. It's, you know, what we've done at Minis is we've created chapters around specific communities of interest. So iOS, Android, Java, design. And the chapters do the how. So they're responsible for the how, the teams do the what. So the teams own the what, the build, the chapters own the how. But I believe mean, you know, that's, that's worked. Um, but 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 not always. I'd be really keen to to underscore with both of you. Perhaps perhaps you might, because we've been talking about this. Is you know, are you still too small, or how are you solving this consistency? Is it is it you as one man solving this consistency still, or is it? I hope not. <laughs> I really hope not. I, so so um, uh, yeah, no. Otherwise, uh, otherwise I'll be a lot greater next time we talk. Right. Mm. Um, I uh, yeah. So so I mean, we all. Look, we, I mean, we all find the best people we can find and they're brilliant, right? And so they have to be able to be brilliant. Otherwise, what's the point? So, so, um, so, so I think, again, I, I sort of think about, try to think about the world in the, in the sense of, we kind of all know there are things which will hurt the organization based on the organization. So if a bunch of my product managers, uh, product owners, um, diverge on how we think our customer facing API is going to work, we have a massive problem, right? I mean, this is just, mm. it can't diverge, right? It, that just doesn't work. So, so, there, so what we're trying to do is identify the things that organizationally for us would be a problem mm -hmm. and be consistent in those by tackling that issue and sort of deliberately making a decision on that issue. So I think one of the problems with consistency is you sort of don't quite do you know what I mean? You get you get independent half solves or near solve. Yeah. I solve for my bit, and I didn't really think about the implications. So we're trying to get this consistency. It's not. I wouldn't say it's as as, as by consensus, but it's in it's informed where we know those things will hurt us. So if there are, uh, you know, API is one, documentation is another. If we veer off in a totally different experiential direction for that. Customers can't buy multiple products from us, and that's what our business model is predicated on. So yeah. that, that does, doesn't work. Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily, you know, rules, um, but just an awareness of awareness of where we need to make an organisational decision rather than a specific one. I think is what. That's really interesting because it touched on two things, which is rules, which is one of my favourite topics. You know, we try. You know, for example, I'm sure you're in the same boat as us. If two different teams treated money different way you would have an immense problem reconciling. You know, if a team did eight decimal places and trimmed, and another team did eight decimal places and rounded up, you know, you, you know, very, very quickly, that would be an absolute nightmare. But, you know, but you touched on sort of, so we try to go for tools and not rules. Um, so, you know, so there is a suggested consistency. And if you're going to break for that, you know, have a think about it first. Uh, for example, if you were going to do Zimbabwe and money, that's got a very different 
<laughs> number behind it than, than, than GDP. So it might be that actually you do have to do money in a different way, but at least you've taken that decision explicitly. Do you, what are we really interested in is, do you, do, are you, do you have enforcers? It doesn't sound like it, but do you inf who enforces the rules? Are they self-policed or what happens, what happens there? Um, they've, so, so far, uh, they've been, uh, they, they kind of result occasionally in a very happy, yes, okay, it was misunderstanding, we're all good, everybody actually meant the same thing, and we didn't really think about the consequences, and therefore we'll kind of harmonise and everybody's right. Uh, occasionally, they just are totally different viewpoints, right? And, and those turn into, you know, quite, uh, quite heated conversations, actually. The religious debates that you were saying. Yeah, they just, I mean, you know, and, and, and we kind of, we're not, you know, not in the mode of shutting those things down at all. I mean, they just need to happen, because um, until until we can find a way of solving it for the for the organization if we don't do that our customers can't buy it and so we we have to answer this question right otherwise otherwise you, you can't expect a client to uh to have you know fundamental principles of our promises to them broken just because we couldn't agree on something mm. so we just have to work them out and i think to your point that doesn't mean there's a rule of the game it just means it just means that everybody is looking for those like actively trying to to find them and share them and resolve them because they actually they just don't want to come and start later right they don't want it to, to not work and what we found is especially with these sort of religious type issues is you can't stop them you need to let them it's like a, a, a boxer you need to let them punch you need to let everybody punch themselves out and let the emotions subside you know, revisit it again raise the emotions again and just let it subside again and then once everybody's too tired you know, to sort of, and the, you know, the emotions are on the floor, and then you go, okay, everybody's had their bit, everybody's had their say, you know, okay. And we can still do that now uh, at sort of, you know, we're probably about 150 people across all of product and technology, but I think I think soon that's not going to last any longer, so, we, you know, we're going to have to go away and think, you know, how do we make these religious, how do a few people make these religious decisions and take enough people with us? Because I think we're now reaching the point where we, everybody can't be involved you know, in these decisions, or you know, at least everybody will be informed rather than be involved. And, yeah, that's the balance you're going to do. So, Yuvini, let's jump into it. Sort of how how do you sort of manage this consistency among all these teams? So, uh, so I mean, I'll go back to the same uh, inception uh, part. So, inception is where uh, uh, everybody comes together and gets the same idea of the product, right? Uh, once that is done, then everything I mean runs like uh, uh, a very uh, well-oiled uh, engine. So everybody has the idea that what the overall product is. Uh, then it comes to the designers. Designers actually build uh, uh, based on whatever uh, uh, they got through the inception. We have uh, we follow agile uh, very strictly. Uh, so agile, I mean, we write those stories. We write proper acceptance criteria. I mean, that is where the uh, major uh, time is spent so that we cover every aspect so that all of the acceptance criteria are met by the back-end engineers and then by the front-end engineers. The other thing which we also enforce is that uh, once we, we get out of that uh, inception meeting, uh, any communication will happen, will happen only through proper documentation, right? Though Agile says, I mean, people uh, uh, over process and uh, all that, but we say that I mean, it has to be documented properly so that the backend, once the backend is done, the, the QAs will receive that, uh, documentation of whatever has been uh, implemented and tested accordingly. And they will also verify it against your user story. Right? Uh, 
Uh, then, and similarly, I mean, that has been picked up with uh, along with the designs with the front-end engineers. And then finally, I mean, it is being uh, built. So, so that is how we ensure uh, uh, consistency that everybody who, whatever your, uh, it's like uh, Chinese whispers. Right. I mean, so you start off with something, but in the end, I mean, uh, what comes out might be completely different from uh, what what uh, was initially planned. But because you have those user stories and the acceptance criteria, at every step, those are validated whether those were met or not. And that helps us uh, maintaining consistency. That's really interesting because what you've sort of got is a very loosely structured organization that appears to be very mission specific. But you've really sort of, I think it speaks to Mike, Mike's point as well, you've really narrowed down, right, here's the stability. There's a skeleton there somewhere. In some organizations, the skeleton is structural. In your organization, it's the specific process around you know, the documentation. That's the sort of skeleton that allows all this flexibility and agility to happen elsewhere. I think that's really interesting that they, both the organizations, there's this some sort of framework that, that, that holds, that allows this dynamism to happen because there's always this stability, which is true no matter what. And I think that's really interesting. Did you make, did you make that decision explicitly, like you decided that, or is that just been the results of your lessons you've learned over time? Um, actually, I would love to take the credit for that, but uh, actually it is not. It's been, uh, so, uh, it's been followed in the organization. I mean, uh, before uh, uh, I had actually joined, so it's been followed very strictly. And this is one of the principles which have been there. Uh, uh, it's it's it has it has worked. And then, of course, I mean, why do you why do you want to change it? I mean, if it is uh, working, that is. Yeah, exactly. So this is fascinating. So the you know, two main theories, two main themes that have already that sort of come out from exploration is the sort of managing of consistencies between the teams. Um, which is which is what we've just covered, and then also you know sort of being able to sort of balance the sort of empowerment and alignment as well, which is a slightly different slightly different take on the sort of same subject. I think what's what's what sort of I'm surprised that the nobody brought up in terms of what keeps you know chief of products or head of products of an eye is like the senior, you know. So you know, yeah, he he does keep me up a lot at night for a number of reasons. One one through Slack and. And two, sort of, okay, you know, where we, you know, where are we going next? That sort of, I'd really like to hear. You know, let's, let's start with you, Mike. Like, what's your experience? You know, how does you know, do, is there an element of that, with, like, with you, and sort of, how, how do you manage that? Oh, good question. I mean, it, it helps that uh, it helps that I've uh, I've worked with uh, with Michael for a long time and before here as well. Uh, and it also helps that the sort of backgrounds and uh, culture are similar. So, um, so the expectation levels are, are kind of are kind of in the right space. Um, I mean, I think I think it would be a weird organisation if I empowered all of my team to do what they want to do, and he didn't empower me to run the direction of the product and the strategy. Mm. So, so actually, um, uh, that that sort of decentralization model is is pretty endemic um, in the culture that we've built and that we're building. So I'm, I'm very fortunate in the sense that um, I don't quite get left alone because I don't think anybody does, right? But, but, I, but I get the freedom to, um, to sort of explain the, the rationale for why we're moving in directions that we're moving in terms of the solutions we're putting out and, and some of the challenges that go with that. Um, I, inevitably, I wait for the edict from on high, uh, 
so far, uh, so far, touch wood, I'm taking it as a base of confidence. Uh, I haven't had one of those yet, um, which, uh, which are, are, again, I'm sure we will, we will sort of grow into. I, I think one of the things that does, um, that does make a big, um, that does make a big difference in that kind of managing up piece is um, there are very few surprises in our organization because of this comms model and openness and transparency model that we run. So it's, it's unlikely that there's any period of more than a few days or a week where anything can be going on that isn't visible actually if you're just looking. Um, and so I think where the managing up thing becomes you know, very problematic is where there are surprises, right? In, in any direction, those are just tough, right? Um, yeah. Yes, definitely, definitely, definitely up as well as down. Yeah, I think. Thankfully, we, we, we're kind of trying to preempt some of that with the, with the, with the openness piece. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, I think what I found is, is you know, Norris and, and other CEOs, you know, if you tell them early that something's not on track or something's at risk, they're a hell of a lot more forgiving. I wouldn't say they're perfectly forgiving and everything's fine, but they're a hell of a lot more forgiving than if you say, you know, the day before something's going to be released, right, okay, it's another week, it's another month or, or something. So sort of the, the proactive. How, but how do you manage, and this is what I'm struggling with is, and now we've got quite a number of teams, I don't know, you know, I know a lot of the detail, but I don't know exactly everything that all the teams are doing. So I'll get asked a question about a specific feature on a specific, you know, a specific field on a specific feature on a specific team. I just don't have the answer. How do you sort of, how, you know, how do you, how do you respond to sort of really, really detailed questions? I, I, I mean, I have to, I have to confess, I, I sort of operate on the principle that if I can't find people who know their products better than I do, then I've just got the wrong people. Mm -hmm. And okay. so if they know better than me, then, uh, I'm not going to know the answer to those questions. Uh, that's just just not going to happen. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm happy to take a again a, a sort of a if it was a problem, I'd have seen it mm -hmm. and I'd have done something with it. That means it's an it's kind of an inquiry. And from my perspective, with the greatest respect to uh, to to anybody, uh, an inquiry goes to the only people that can answer the question, right? And so that to me would be, you know, product owner pound, you know product owner uh, international that's that, that's what these guys do and then actually what I find is that that's quite an interesting check because um, it's a check on me as an individual because if I can answer every single one of these questions I'm too much in the detail anyway actually it's like I, I should not be able to um, uh, if everybody is running really fast then uh, that would make me a bottleneck um, so again I, I I think you know I've been caught out a couple of times in that space um, where I have found myself assuming something um, and I've been a bit out of touch. Um, again, I, I've only found those to be problems if there was actually, if it was a problem rather than I'm just interested in, or you know, I met this person and they were interested in. And, and, and those things, I, they just have to go to the people who know best, right? which is you know, either the engineers working on that specific piece of functionality or the product owners on that, on that piece. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's really interesting. So I have a fault, right? I can't, I can't keep it all in my head. Yeah, so I sort of, yeah, I'm in two minds about this. Is one, I, I at least want an understanding, at least at a high level, so so that when somebody asks, you know, at least I can answer or at least provide some context so that you don't have to ask the team. 
versus if it's actually quite specific and quite technical, then actually you, you're sort of completely right. Okay, yeah, I'm definitely not the right person to ask about this. Sort of, sort of going out. So, Vanita, I'm you know, really interested to hear. You know, with with such amazing growth and scaling, and with this sort of ambiguity around teams, sort of, yeah. How do you how do you manage up? How do you sort of work that? So, uh, so basically, I mean, there are uh, three things. Uh, which we do on a regular basis. One is uh, your daily stand-ups. That clearly across all products, I mean, that is mandatory that you, uh, that I attend uh, all of them. Uh, and all of them, most each product will not have more than 15 minutes of uh, stand-up, right? I mean, it's very uh, tight thing wherein you actually talk about what you uh, did yesterday and then what did you do today and what, what uh, I mean, are you blocked on something, right? I mean, that gives me a an exact idea of what uh, and what is going on or uh, what is what is getting blocked or uh, what, when can things be delivered, right? Then you have your uh, an eight-week plan, which is generally reported uh, uh, by the product owners on a week-on-week -week basis. So we always have an eight-week roadmap uh, always ready, uh, which is I mean to uh, detailed out to a, to a, to an extent so that I mean we have an idea of what is the general direction in which we are taking. So based on this, I mean, this is enough information for me to provide uh, uh, to everybody. I mean, all the stakeholders. Uh, mostly, I mean, that works out uh, uh, that way. Uh, uh, most of the time, I you get a question that when is it uh, coming out live, right? I mean, that is where uh, this helps. If there are details regarding uh, any of the product, right, which goes to that, that, what is that configuration, whether this product is able to do this or that or not. I mean, that definitely, I mean, is, is documented in a lot of places. I might not have all of this information, but yes, if I cannot find it in any of the documentation, that is where uh, uh, we ask to update the product doc so that, I mean, the product doc is shared all the time. And the product doc is always updated and is, uh, is, is always up to date. And so that, I mean, we have all the answers there because See, with the scale, there are, there are a lot of stakeholders, right? I mean, you have to have that, that level of information needed by the ops team as well. The customer complaints, I mean, we need to have that information, right? I mean, so that is where uh, we have uh, most of these things listed on. And that is how, I mean, mostly when you manage all of this. Okay. No, that's really, I think we do something similar. We have we have our scrum of scrums at 9.30 where all the team leads come and it's definitely not beating them up. It's not a progress up today. It's just all good. Yeah, and if it's not, then yeah, the CEO who attends the Scrum of Scrums or myself can just jump on something and fix it. But but at least in that way, I have sort of reasonable, good situational awareness of what the teams are working on. And if there's a problem, there's 24 hours before, you know, maximum 24 hours before, you know, I can bring you know, the CCO or the CEO in on the problem and say, look, can you just phone this company, phone the CEO, yeah, let's 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 fix this problem. Or if the decisions made, you know, I try not to make decisions as a rule. Um, you know, about you know, the empowerment piece. But if it's but if if a trade-off does need to be made, you know, we can make it like once every 24 hours, make it quickly, yeah, just make sure we catch it. But, but that that's for me how I balance that. I try to pull the CEO into that. So I, I try to get him to update himself rather than me. And that sort of that really sort of helps sort of us share the same context quite frequently. Brilliant, I think, no, thank you, Vinny. Um, Mike, thank you so much. You know, these were fantastic, your responses. You know, some stuff that I did anticipate, some stuff that I didn't. You know, I've definitely taken taken a lot away from this uh, in terms of you know, rethinking what I'm doing now and what we're doing here at Vinny's and, and what, what potentially we should move to in the future. And you know, I'm gonna love catching up with, with both of you separately you know, for a beer and coffee, for another Zoom 
with you uh, visiting urban India and sort of carrying on a conversation. Thank you very much. It's learned a great deal. Ryan, so yours. Yeah, all right. So before the train leaves the station here, um, we've got a lot to decipher through. So we got we got lots of things to mind in the gap. Now, if I had to ask you each a pointed question of what is the most dangerous part of this gap, understanding there's a communication between your team, we're talking about everything from blah to blah, and maybe like a one sentence high level, uh, maybe Vineet, you can go first since you're not on mute. What is, you know, we've talked about what we're doing, maybe what is your one piece of advice to avoid or to not do? Since everything has really been focused on what to do, maybe a last final thought of what not to do or one of the things that will cause you to fall in the gap? Um, so the number one thing to avoid is actually, I mean, go uh, deeper into any of these products. I mean, always keep a, a 30,000 feet view so that, uh, and let the product owners, I mean, actually do the deep dive. So that means, I mean, you are aware of all the products and have the big picture. So that is, that is I mean, a trap which you fall into uh, uh, because of your closeness to the product. Okay, I dig it. Mike, how about you? Anything to avoid as a final thought if you could have told your younger self? Uh, yeah, yeah, I should never have gotten that train. No, no. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, uh, no, Vinita has stolen mine. Uh, and by that, I mean he had it before me. Uh, no, I, same thing, right? Uh, it, it's, it's not possible in a scaling organization to, uh, to know the answer to every random question you're going to get asked and nor should it be an expectation and people throw that at product people all the time right because usually it's an answer kind of response kind of environment as well an SME environment um, it's just not possible so uh, so don't sweat it uh, and always find better people than you are that is definitely the way all right I dig it so my my final roundup here is that you know if we're using this analogy of different teams as different trains I heard things about, you know, how do you communicate this vision? How do you get inside of the brain of, of the, the founder and in, in this overarching? And it's almost like as a managerial role in this product and product teams, you're sitting in the engineering booth. You don't have time to be on the train with these individuals, especially if you have remote teams. So this idea of minding the gap through communicating face-to-face, -face, through having regular meetings, through the ways in which you're uh, determining the schedule of the, of the trains and how things are going in what direction, I'm really assuming that you guys are in these controller seats and you're not on the train. And the gap happens when you try to leave the control room and get onto the train, but now you're going in one direction, but you have another team going to that direction. Then when it scales, everything becomes confusing. And you have the challenge of like, you know, how centralized versus decentralized and the ability to let people choose their own trains to get to the destination versus mapping things out. And so it sounds like it's not a, it's not one single solution but it's really being able to listen to how your teams operate. It depends on if they're physically able to meet in the train station or if they're taking virtual tickets. So, you know, as my notes sort of detail here, there's a lot of things that are going on um, and they all stem from, from the, which is the gap. But I think today we got a good view of, of a number of different ways that people who listen can take individual parts and try to implement that even to Max where he's maybe thinking about doing things a little bit differently now. And I think the more we can share these types of what works and what doesn't gives everybody a chance to pick and choose their own schedule, their own train station so that they don't fall into the gap. So if you are out there managing teams, whether it's small teams and you're on your way to scaling, uh, listening back and taking his, uh, some, some minute notes there, um, 
one of the first things I wrote down was that vision doesn't necessarily scale by itself. You have to create the communication. You have to empower people through um, getting everybody on the same page to make sure that you get to the right spot. So what a great uh, conversation, everybody. If you want to hear more of these, check out scaleupvalley.com. We're talking with amazing experts like this, and we're getting inside their brains so they can teach us how to scale better and faster. So I would assume that you guys should all connect with these individuals online, follow the companies, use their services, poke and prod until you get what you need so that we can all get on the train and get to our destination and not on the wrong train. <laughs> okay, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been a pleasure. We will see you guys online or so and continue to keep scaling, all right? Okay.